welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and we are continuing the draft talk with the picks. In the last pod, we talked about some undrafted gems who might be found in the two-way or Exhibit 10 market. Now we're getting to some players expected to get drafted in this class. I'm going to be talking players to consider at pick number 34, and some players that might be deemed late second rounders, but definitely have value in the early 30s. So I'll be discussing a lot of different prospects in this one, how they fit with the OKC Thunder as well. And then I'm going to have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Guys, if you missed out on the last one, make sure to check it out. Talked about leave seven or eight different prospects that are not expected to go in the draft. I guess it'd be tomorrow, but uh, I want to talk about some players that could be in contention for the Thunder's number 34 overall pick, because let's be honest, I think the Thunder actually getting an undrafted free agent and signing them to the main roster is out of the cards. They wouldn't do that. This is not a team playing super high in taxes. This isn't a Lakers squad picking up Austin Reeves. And that was a great pickup, by the way. But, you know, they obviously didn't have money to get somebody outside of a mid-level exception. So they got Reeves, turned out well. For Oklahoma City, they're going to be playing over the cap a little bit next season. So it does limit you a bit in trades. But just generally speaking... They have assets on assets. They're not going to be needing to go into undrafted territory to get main roster players. That's what these picks are for. Pick 2, pick 12, and pick 34. You have 17, 18 future first-round picks in the chamber as well. So you have assets not only to pick at your spots, but you could try trading up if you would like to. And that's the rumors that we have seen on Draft Night Eve. As you guys know, I'm just rattling out podcasts right now. Had my very big uh, draft day guide that's going to be going up on SI Thunder in the morning. So you guys can check that out at si.com slash thunder. 12,000 word guide has over 25 different scouting reports. We're going to be talking about Vasily Micic, some of the financial situations, and just the ins and outs on what the Thunder could use coming out of tomorrow's draft but I want to hone in on their least valuable valuable pick right now at 34 had pick 30 thought maybe you could package those two to move into the 20s now does not appear that way looks like you're going to be shooting at 34 chalk unless you make a trade up Michich could be very interesting based on some of the reports we have been hearing just now actually that's one of the beauties of, of recording it now is we're getting live updates on some of these players, and Micic was one of them. We learned that Nikola Jokic is vying for Micic to make the jump over and for the Nuggets to trade for the guard. So that could lead to something in the draft shakeup. Uh, and other teams, such as the uh, the Bucks and the Bulls, they've also kind of shown their hand a little bit. Anyways, though, if we're just going under the assumption OKC is staying put at 34, there's going to be some very good options. And I think when you look historically at the second round, basically everybody is able to get what they need to open the second round. There are some drafts worse than others, I would say. In hindsight, 
you could say last year's second round was a, a little bit better, but I think that, you know, every second round will have its gems, obviously. Last year, Isaiah Todd started things out. I'm still high on him. He just hasn't been put in a very good situation in Washington. You get down to prospects like Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Deuce McBride, Herb Jones, Desumu. You know, there were plenty of good players. And in the 50s, you even had guys like Charles Bassey and Aaron Wiggins. So you can make a lot out of, you know, basically free trade chips, if you will. And at 34, that's not a freebie. That has real value in draft classes. And I think OKC should be having a pretty good decision when it comes to taking that third swing. And they have a history of using their late first round picks and early second rounders to go for high floor prospects actually jre is the big one last year he was the clear-cut safe pick and he was a safe pick he was a very good pick at his selection and in years prior guys like Teo, i know that looking back on it obviously it wasn't a high floor player by any means but you know, for the, the best player available situation, Teo was mocked to go 20 on my board. Lots of lots of analysts had him as a first-round grade. So there was that. Uh, I think others that come to mind for me are when they went back-to-back on selecting Andre Roberson, and then they went for Josh Hustis, two very good defenders who obviously needed the offensive game to develop. So high floor on one end, not so high on the other, and it kind of leveled out to where... You know, Roberson was amazing, but Hustis, he started a little bit here and there, but he didn't get to stick on the main roster. I think that there obviously are outliers. I know I mentioned Teo sort of as a a prospect that was best player available, but he wasn't necessarily high floor. He showed very good potential over in France. Great cross-court passer. Even showed some promise as a shooter. And with that floater, just beautiful touch around the basket. But... He wasn't, you know, a a safe pick. You know, you're you're betting on the potential. And with him, I think, you know, he's done well when he has played in long stints, but consistency has always been an issue. I'm not mad about that pick by any means. Two seasons ago as well, not only did they have pick 34, but they traded up to pick 37, traded away pick 53 in a future second rounder to get up there, and they got Vic Kredci, who was not a high floor prospect at all there was still you know doubts on when he was going to play next because the draft happened two months after he tore his ACL so you had a major red flag and he already did it previously and he's kind of been working his way back up but that was a ceiling shot that was a moonshot right there so they've been going back and forth and I think in this draft cycle It's extremely interesting because you have two, you have 12, you have the potential avenue of trading 12 and assets to move up on this draft board. And then you have the third pick. Do you go for floor as an insurance policy or do you end up going for another high ceiling player if picks two and 12 end up being that way? And that's why I love looking at second round picks and how teams end up utilizing it. I think with OKC, it could be a seesaw battle till when they actually write the name down and you see deputy commissioner go to the podium. Anyways, though, I have some names that are projected to go 
late first, early second, and then some other players that could sneak into the conversation that would be considered reaches for the current moment. And we're starting out with Patrick Baldwin Jr. out of Milwaukee. If you guys did not listen to the Bricktown Breakdown pod I was on with Hunter and Clemente a couple weeks ago, and they actually talked about number 34 prospects, Patrick Baldwin was one of the players we discussed, and we discussed how he would fit on the team. Now, he averaged 12.1 points and 5.8 rebounds last season. Very, very interesting story for him. Because he entered this year as a consensus five-star recruit, had team upon team, we're talking Blue Bloods, looking to take him onto the roster and basically foster him to be a lottery pick. But he decided that he would rather play with his father at Milwaukee, and that's that's good. Um, with that, you know, he went from being that top 10 projected guy in high school showed really good ball handling skills, amazing stroke. And he still showed, you know, in terms of movement, he was the same player, but he just could not buy a bucket. He only played 11 games for the Panthers and he had to call it quits because he has a, he had an ankle injury. So that's another thing you need to look at. But one of the primary things with him is his shot. He has a beautiful shot for him, able to stretch the floor Really, in theory, because he was inconsistent. He shot 26.6% from distance, and you always need to look at sample size, and you also need to look at the high school tape, because that is a different story when you look at that. But he wasn't good on shooting splits, not an efficient player, and he basically was slowly but steadily sliding down the big board to where he's not viewed even as a first-round prospect anymore. I personally think he would get drafted in the late first just based on his build. This is a six foot ten point forward who has shown a pretty good shot form. So I think for a contender, you look at that as very good high ceiling value at least. Uh, but for the Thunder, this is a high ceiling pick, and they could obviously go for high ceiling small forward you have to look at injuries and you have to look at consistency but he did look pretty good at the high school level and defensively it's another thing where in terms of frame good frame still has maybe a couple question marks but you know a lot of this just banks on his potential because it is a high high ceiling and in terms of floor you know, it's hard to really gauge, but it could be one of those scenarios where you do need to play him just a little bit in the G League to get his feet wet. So he is an ideal type of prospect in frame for your sharpshooting three. And with this Thunder group, let's just look at it. They have SGA and they have Josh Giddy, two very good passers who are not three-point shooters. If you pair him with a mobile six foot ten forward who can shoot consistently on the catch, but also have the ability to, you know, go on ball for a little bit and try to create his own shot. That gives you a big upper hand. And Baldwin needs to connect the dots because right now he just looked like a, a completely different player. But he looked really good 
on his shot form, but also pulling up on some of these mid-range J's. And that gives you uh, kind of the vision of, you know, where he was at one year ago. So you love you love him in theory. He didn't have a good combine. He didn't play in the games. Had a 26.5 inch vertical leap, which is obviously not going to help you at all. But he's still getting pre-draft workouts. He worked out with the Oklahoma City Thunder earlier in the month. So clearly they want to see what they could potentially have if they selected Patrick Baldwin. And I think that Baldwin is a really good just like developmental piece because if OKC wants to go for these, you know, high risk, high reward picks, Patrick Baldwin is someone that I think you could sleep, sleep tight about. If it doesn't work out even, I think you're fine because this is a pick where, you know, not only do you have a ton loaded for next year and and the seasons moving forward, but you know, this is one where you need to find someone, I think three through five, the biggest issues at the five, of course, but you need relief at the forward spots. Baldwin is a small forward. He's not really a tweener that's been playing power forward. Um, So you have that locked and loaded. And if he's able to, you know, meet the expectations he had prior, you have a very good potential player on your hands. And that's why I would be pretty okay with this selection. And I think in terms of fit, it's a very good one. The comparison I used on the Bricktown Breakdown pod was, you know, he's kind of similar to Jalen Johnson almost. And it's not in terms of play style, not even close because Jalen Johnson is this uber athletic point forward who needed to work a little bit on, you know, some of the other elements of his game with Baldwin. He's a ball handler who doesn't have very good athleticism around the basket, but he's more of that perimeter centric type of player where I think it's maybe a little bit of the inverse. The trajectory is similar to me though, because the way the Hawks managed Johnson at first looked appalling. They put him with the college park Skyhawks and they basically locked him up in a box and said, you're playing in the G league, Sharif Cooper, you're playing in the G league, Justin Tillman, you're not on our team, but you're still playing in the G league. Um, so they had a really good group, but you didn't see many NBA games for Cooper or Johnson until the end of the season. Regardless, Jalen Johnson was one of the best rookies in the G league. He was averaging upwards of 20 points and like seven rebounds per game. And he was even looking good as a passer. He was able to kind of, you know, reinvigorate himself, if you will, to where he got selected 20th, but, He's built his stock up to where, let's say he was averaging 22-7 and with the Ignite last year. He'd be viewed as a lottery prospect probably in this draft class because he had a lot of very positive notes. I think that's what you do with Baldwin. Play him in the OKC Blue system for a little bit and, you know, see how he works out because he is going to improve with in-game reps. I don't think you get the most out of him by making him a an immediate bench player in a set role. You need to let him spread his wings right now because basically his freshman campaign, he spread his wings and then, you know, he fell, you know, flat on the ground because he had that ankle injury. Put him in the G League. Let Grant Gibbs 
uh, kind of tool with him. And you already know you have a sharpshooter in Lindy Waters, so that gives you someone you can play off of. And then you continue to kind of build around what you have. But this would be a standard contract with uh, Patrick Baldwin. And then obviously you'd move him down to the G League level for a good chunk of the season. That's a really good placement though. And I think, you know, if you're going, like I said, to hit that ceiling, Baldwin is a, a good pick. I want to talk about some other players and potentially some players that have the higher floors. And one second here. But first, I want to let you all know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on and at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, they have an incredible offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Want to get right back on track, though, with some of the players that could be available at pick number 34. And one of the team needs I'll be addressing, not just in my draft day guide, drop it in the morning, but also in a later pod is just the center position. And this isn't a new breakthrough. They haven't had that pure five really since Al Horford, obviously, but a long-term one since Steven Adams because they've basically been filtering guys in on short-term stints. Chet could very well be the guy at number two, and then this becomes more of a a thing you could put to the side per se, but I still think it's nice to address the five and get an actual center on the roster. Christian Coloco out of Arizona is really that player in my eyes. He averaged 12.6 points, 7.3 rebounds, and 2.8 blocks. Picked up Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year honors, and he was even on the ballot for a national award because of how he played on the defensive end. And you have to kind of look at this. Like, he's not the youngest guy. He's 21 years old, and OKC is filled with a ton of 18- and 19-year-olds. So... That's one thing, but it's not like he's, you know, 23 years old and you're looking to pick him up right now. He's so he's a little bit older, but with that, you know, there there's nothing crazy crazy about it. A really good frame. I think that's what helps out a bit. He's 7 foot 1 with a 7 5 wingspan, and I think that's what patches up the 5 spot if you're Oklahoma City, especially in the early moments. So he's a good interior big and I think with OKC, what they need is they need just some security. And they could have had that. They had Moses Brown. They had Omer Yurt 7. They had Olivier Saar. 
and clearly it didn't work. So there's something that they're searching for that they just haven't found yet, and I think that's why they're okay not getting centers right now. With Coloco, could be very much the same because a lot of his game is kind of just that simple ball screen, roll to the basket, go for a rebound, and on the other end, you're the interior force who tries to get rejections. So that that doesn't make him different from what we've seen. I think the big thing, though, is the defensive shine that he's shown with his blocking ability. I think that he's able to, you know, sneak in not just for blocks, but contest as well. I think the big part is the shot, and that's what would differentiate himself from basically everybody else. And when you're looking at Coloco and just his overall stats, like I said, averaging about 12 and 8 per game, how much of it's coming from the mid range? How much of it is coming from three? Honestly, Virtually none of them. He's shot five career three-pointers at Arizona. But at the line, he improved by a large margin. He started out shooting 35% at the line. Now, not a lot of reps. Shot 62% last year. Shot 73.5% at the stripe this season. So, if that shot's legit, that's big. And it's not even just having... You know, the three-point shot, your ideal stretch guy. If you're hitting a mid-range shot, if you're able to hit a shot in the short corner, that has serious value in terms of floor spacing. It's able to keep a player with his size on the floor uh, in a bench roll or really wherever you'd like to stick him within this roster. So he's that sturdy option that OKC could find. And in terms of floor, the floor is not as high as JRE. The floor is him still hanging around for a little bit. And I think the comparison is Tony Tony Bradley whenever he was around, at least in the way that they were both utilized. Because Tony Bradley is actually eerily similar in terms of frame. I think Bradley's a couple inches shorter, but he also has a 7'5 wingspan. How do you remember Tony Bradley? You remember him for setting screens, rolling to the basket, and reaping the rewards if they did a bad job in you know their coverages. And he got decent stat lines out of it, but they didn't want to pick up the qualifying offer. Coloco, at worst, I think is Tony Bradley, where they might not want him the next season or the next season, right? But it is a second round deal so you can kind of craft it a little bit and if it's like what Teo's is they could actually opt out after that second season so that helps you and it shouldn't be ridiculously high salary so I think he's that floor player if you're bought in on him as a center and you think that he can develop as a shooter you take him the reason I say that is he did ridiculously well at the combine I think he was one of the better risers he went 16 to 25 at the three-point drill and you combine that with what he did at the charity stripe, there's clear improvement. So you really just have to be bought in on that jumper. And I think not just Coloco, but even a guy like Mark Williams, who's going to be in consideration for 12, he's come a long way in his shot. He's looked good in pre-draft workouts as a shooter. And even though he wasn't shooting because that wasn't his role at Duke, people are looking at him as a potential pick-and-pop threat. And that drastically spikes your value going into, um, you know, the 630 NBA draft. Going into a player that might be the JRE when you're kind of shooting for floor 
it'd be EJ Liddell out of Ohio State. And he was a monster this year for the Buckeyes, and he has been for the last two seasons. Averaged 19.4 points, 7.9 rebounds, and 2.6 blocks per game. Very intriguing. 6'7", 240 pounds, so he has a good base, and he's going to play at the 4. I don't know if this is another situation for OKC where you'd play him at the small ball five or what, but this is clearly a front court player. You're not going to move him down to the three offensively. He has pretty good strengths. Actually, he is a post player, which could be a deterrent, but he's an excellent post passer where he'll be backing somebody down. Let's say, you know, left, left elbow, something like that. And he ends up seeing someone at the right wing kind of collapse inside. He's going to throw an overhead pass to the right wing, and it's going to be an open shot. Just very good, you know, court reader for his position. And then he's also able to kind of face up and go outside of the perimeter. I think that that improved range is ultimately what gives him value as the pick-and-pop guy, sort of like what JRE is right now and how he was utilized just getting another one if you're really into what JRE brings to the table. I think on defense, he also has the strength in terms of his build to where he can guard the four, but also I think the five he wouldn't be too terrible in. I think that's where you kind of hang him around. Very good weak side defender, though, and a smart switcher in the half court from what I viewed with him. So EJ Liddell. I don't know if he's the slam dunk guy for the Thunder because really you already have so many power forwards. And I know some are tweeners like Baisley and, and Poku. You had to figure out for a little bit if they were a three or four. I think they've settled at the four spot and you want to try to shift JRE down to the four, potentially Isaiah Roby if he's still hanging around. That makes it very tight. And really the the way he would play is if he's a small ball five, basically giving him the JRE treatment. If they go for a center in the lottery, though, I think that kind of diminishes that role. It just leaves one spot left, which would likely go to Jeremiah. So I don't know if Liddell would really be the pick for the Thunder. I do think he is worth looking at, though, just based on if you'd rather go floor as opposed to kind of swinging for the fences. So I think, I think Liddell is one where you're viewing him as uh, a role player, you know, someone who can contribute for you, I'd say relatively right away. Going into a prospect that I have been looking at very highly, and I, I'm i going to be honest, guys, he's not going to drop to 34. But if he is, you better hope he's there, and you, you, you better want him in that situation. It's Blake Wesley out of Notre Dame. Averaged 14.4 points, 3.7 rebounds, and 2.4 assists. I think he's more likely the Joshua Primo of this draft class. He's been hanging in the 20s for most of this um, you know, mock draft process, but he has this scoring potential of a lottery selection, and I think that's what could push him up into the range of you know, the back end of this draft lottery. And if not, let's, let's say the teens. I think that's a, a pretty good spot. Good frame. Six foot five, 185 pounds. This guy is lightning fast for six five. And he's able to create space 
out of virtually nothing when he's one-on-one. One of the top isolation creators in this class. I'd say there are some better than him. Jaden Ivey's that number one. I'd say Jaden Hardy's another, you know, very good one-on-one space creator. But Wesley, you cannot doubt him because he's able to just stop and pop on you. Even in terms of step backs, he has it in his arsenal. And he can be that microwave scorer. Issue is... He's not shooting as consistently as he really needs to where, you know, he's going two of seven from the three point line in some games. And then in the next, you know, he'll be as hot as a pistol. If you're going to pair him up in particular in like an off ball role, he can't be that shaky. If he's on ball, maybe, but you need to make him a solidified shooter. He shot 30% from distance, 65% at the foul line but very speedy release, looked like he was able to get to any spot he needed to. And then even in terms of slashing to the basket, that's one of his good strengths. He has some nice verticality to where he can actually rise up for some dunks and be that three-level scorer who can kind of take things over on your bench. On defense, very pesky. I talked about how he's kind of electric in terms of his on-court speed offensively. It's the same on defense where, you know, he was looking to have those challenges against the better defenders on teams, very aggressive, would try to rip the ball loose, average 1.2 steals per game. So I think in combo guards, at least, he's going to be able to defend and, you know, for those speedy guards that might be hard matchups, putting Wesley on him might not be the worst decision just based on his overall foot speed. In terms of fit, I really like Blake Wesley, and there are better wings in this class to place with the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think people are writing the Thunder off for drafting a wing if it's not Jaden Ivey or Shaden Sharp. I think that's ridiculous, and I think they could take it when it's 12, honestly. At 34, if a player like Wesley is still around, you're going to get him, and the more I talk about it, the more I'm talking myself out of this happening because he just... Reminds me a lot of, you know, a Bones Highland type prospect last year. But I think the better the better take would almost be Trey Mann, where he was in the 20s, going into the mocks, pick number 16 to the Thunder. I think that's a, a pretty good projection for Wesley as well, where he's going to go in the teens somewhere. So it's an awkward spot where I think the Thunder would need to trade up. With some of these other guys like Coloco and Baldwin, they, they could very well be at 34 not with Wesley though very good situation if you could play him with um, man that kind of gives you that four-man guard unit where you have SGA Giddy, man and Wesley two microwave scorers and two very good passers if one's not playing well well you just plug in the other you got that three-man lineup that you can kind of filter in throughout the game want to talk about another wing that might not be electric on ball but He's a very good playmaker. He can be electric with the ball in his hands, that's for sure. And I think he's a good, well-rounded prospect. It's Dalen Terry out of Arizona. Six foot seven wing, averaged eight points, four point nine rebounds, and three point nine assists. Nineteen years old. Very funky stat line for a guard. Eight points, five boards, four assists. Very clean cut around there, but you know, you're looking at the points at only eight. What happens? Well, 
he wasn't asked to shoot a lot, but when he did, he's pretty effective. He shot 36.4% from three. Not the best release. I think he needs to be faster, might be susceptible to close out to the next level, but if he can be a catch-and-shoot threat, I'm very high on Dalen Terry. Tight handle, I would say, with him, and he has excellent on-court vision. Really, when you're looking at backdoor cuts, I think that's the part of his passing game that he's mastered to this point. But he has some scoring potential, too, to where he can slash the basket and play off the ball, like I mentioned. Defensively, I think the frame lines up to where you'd want it at um, you know 6'7 with a 7-foot wingspan. Guard twos and threes. I don't know about the other positions. I wouldn't call him a multi-positional defender at this point, but he does have a solid base, and I'd say... You know, in terms of his actual activity, very good at using his hands for deflections and and trying to get the ball going to the other direction. The Thunder have that core three right now, and they're looking for the number four. Dalen Terry is one of those more low-maintenance guys, I'd say, where he can handle the basketball. But, um, you know, I don't think you start your offense up with him crossing it past the timeline, especially with this team here. But he can create for for others, and if he has a shot down pat, you can turn him into a pretty key role player. Is OKC the best team for him? I'd say probably not. I think there are other teams that have this set need right now, and Terry would fill it. But OKC, I mean, based on what they've done in the past, they always go for wings like this. I think Terry should be considered here uh, as a potential prospect OKC would like to pick up. Gabriel Prochita is another guy that was floated around on a couple pods I was on previously as someone to look at at 34, and I think he's a little bit different than some of these other prospects and how he'd be utilized, but I do like the thought of it, and with uh, Prochita, he is a Euro stash. He might be a drafting stash player, actually, but he averaged 7 points, 3 rebounds, and shot 38.3% from distance, Afertuta Belanga. So, he's playing overseas, and pretty young prospect there. He had been riding probably the biggest wave after Chicago, because he went from basically being off the radar to Jonathan Giovoni, you know, doing, um, you know, TikToks about him, seeing his pro day highlights, throwing down windmill dunks, hitting corner threes in succession. He looked amazing there, and he has a pretty good frame, 6'7", 6'8", wingspan, He's shown the tools necessary at the next level. Good athletic ability and 39% from distance as a pro. Like his release as well. I think the goal is to, you know, kind of develop him a little bit as an off-ball threat because he is able to sneak inside of the basket. And then you kind of work towards, you know, the catch-and-shoot role. But he's not going to be handling the basketball for you much. I think that he's more of like the role player that you, you know, stick in and, and try to get some production out that way. Defensively, good in terms of, you know, getting in the passing lanes for steals. I think motor is what stands out. And if you guys listened to the last pod on some of the undrafted guys, I think motor is one of the big things you need to base your evaluations off of. He does have that, so that's a major plus. Just going for loose balls and going into the lanes. I think that... Prochita is a draft and stash for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And the reason that you take him is if you don't have offers, 
And if you're high, you need to be high on Prochita, obviously. You're not just taking him for the sake of it. But it gives you time. If you still want to develop some of these prospects, you're at 16 players right now. You need to cut to 15. If they take three players that are going to play on this roster, that number is going to get moved up to 19. And then you have Lindy Waters filling up one of the two-way spots. So it is a, a pretty tight crunch in that area. And if they're high on some of these players that have been written off, guys like Teo, Isaiah Roby, Veet, I think that putting Prochita uh, one more year overseas might help in, the, in basing your decision off there. Me personally, I think that there are better prospects in the now than Prochita. I don't think he's a, a perfect fit for the Thunder. It's more of a wait-and-see type thing. But it's all about if they think he's a legit prospect – and if they think they you know, want to evaluate a couple of players a little bit more than they have the last couple of seasons. So that's kind of my write-up on what I have in Prochita. And that rounds up the players that I think are actually in the consensus range for pick number 34. Needless to say, teams don't draft off of consensus. They draft off of their own personal big boards and they draft off of what they need. So, I have other candidates for this pick that some are not projected to go drafted. Some are projected to go in the 50s, but they deserve some major credit. And we're going to start out with John Butler out of Florida State. With John Butler, this is another situation where you're not picking him to put him on the standard contract. I actually think he's a two-way signee because of how raw he is. But this is one of those deals where, just like Prochita, it gives you options. You put John Butler down on a two-way contract. That means you have him. He's going to be able to play 50 regular season games for you. And he has a very unique build. Averaged 5.9 points, 3.1 boards, and shot 39.3% from distance with the Seminoles. And he's a special talent. 7'1", 7'3", wingspan, and he's 190 pounds. He's a foot taller than Chet Holmgren, same exact weight. If you bring home those two, pair him up with Alexei Pokashevsky, fireworks show begins at my place. Man, that's a very fun roster to kind of envision. Obviously, it's not going to happen because I think you would play Butler in the G League and just get a little bit more out of him there. But it's a fun thought. And I don't know if the Thunder would really want to stack up on these types of players. This is more just bringing attention to John Butler is a prospect, 7'1", 190-pound prospect in the second round. He's a very good shooter, though, and that's where he lived and died at Florida State. He didn't touch the inside off of penetration unless it was just an easy layup off of missed assignment. He was going to be in the corner just launching threes. Very beautiful release, though. I'll give him credit to that. Shot 33 of 84 from distance. Only shot 82 two-point shots. So that's able to that kind of gives you the the blueprint of how he projects. Just a a guy that you pin out to a corner and let him work. Needs to bulk up, needs to be an interior force, obviously, but you're you're banking on him being a shooter if you're taking him, especially this high in the draft, because it is a little bit of a reach here. On defense. Did great in combine reads. He was in the top, like, third in a lot of the lane agility tests. And at 7-1, that's a slam dunk. 
He's playing shooting guard, which is the big thing you need to look at. He's not a four or five stuck out at the perimeter. This is a wing talent. So does he hang hang with them right now? Honestly, I don't know right now. I think that he is still such a raw prospect. One and done player, too. So this is the the type of swing that has a big payoff, but also it could just completely tank a little bit where he could just stick around in the G League for a little bit and you don't make diamonds out of it or whatever you will. That's still a very good pickup to keep options open though. And he has, Sam Presti just has that infatuation almost of of going after some of these skinnier, taller prospects and seeing how they go. Butler has the potential to be a pretty unique sharp shooting prospect, but he still has a long way to go as a player. And that's why I think he's just a two-way player that you put a high priority on. And one of the beauties of this is if they think Butler's going to slide in this draft class, they take the Dalen Terry's of the world at 34 and they wait a little bit and they try trading back into the draft with two future seconds Butler's your second two-way spot if that's how you want things to play out. And they can be very happy with that overall haul. So that just gets you a little bit creative on how you want to go about things. Young prospect, so there is some potential. Vince Williams Jr. out of VCU. Four-year prospect. Still think he has some potential, though. 21 years old after four seasons. So he's not even, like, 23 or, like, really old for someone graduating. Averaged 14.1 points, 6 boards, and 1.6 steals with the Rams. 3 and D candidate. That's what I have on Williams. And this is one of those players that is um, actually viewed as a draft steal. And that's the thing that confuses me so much. When there are so many people saying that this is a draft steal. Move them up your board. If every single person thinks they're a draft steal, that might indicate something. And once again, the executive front office realm versus, you know, what we have available right now, completely different. These boards are different. There's medical records that could completely change the landscape of this draft. But with a player like Vince Williams, I don't think this is an undrafted guy or a late 50s guy. If he is, you damn sure better pick him up because this is great value. This is kind of has some semblance to Aaron Wiggins, if you will, as one of those upperclassmen who, you know, was able to get things going on both sides of the basketball. He wasn't a good three-point shooter in his first two seasons, but then he was able to turn it up. He shot 38.7% from three this year, shot about six attempts per game. And one of the beauties about Williams is he's not a strictly catch-and-shoot guy. He can go off DHOs, you can set a pin down, get him wide open that way. Even on the move, you've seen success. It's a good jumper that I think you can replicate over to the next level, and that's going to make him a viable option on that side of the court. Defensively, I think it's much the same, where he was able to hold himself up at a a pretty high level, and a lot of it has to be credited to his frame. 6'5", 7-foot wingspan, that's a 7-inch length, and that checks one of the major boxes when you're looking at if someone is going to be able to play a couple different positions 
on defense, be able to switch one through three or whatever you want to look at. I think with him, it might be a little bit more two to four, but that's insane for someone that you could find in a late part of the second round. Good at steals and blocks alike. I think it was 1.4 blocks per year with or this season with him. So he spread it across quite nicely. And he's not the fastest on the floor, but good footwork, good athleticism kind of mitigates that a little bit. So I have a, a good grade on him. Definitely a steal for a second rounder. And I think the Thunder take him. It might not be the the best fit because you do have Aaron Wiggins and you have guys like Kenrich Williams. Could it be redundant? Sure. You can never have enough of these types of players, though, and that's what makes me want to talk about Williams. Has the markings of just a high-level role player, and I think he has a high floor. I think he has a floor that is comparable to some of these second-round prospects. And... Whenever I look at, at second-round wings, he's definitely not the same as Melvin Frazier Jr., but when you have these wings that might not be the fastest, but they had good footwork and you know good measurables, it can get people to be high on them. And Frazier Jr. was a junior when he got drafted out of Tulane, and you know with Vince, he's a senior coming out at 21 years old, so... I think that he has good value for a playoff contender. If he's available in the 40s or 50s, take him. Should be a, a good selection. And Keon Ellis is much the same. I don't think Ellis is someone that the Thunder would take at 34, but he's in the range where I don't think he goes undrafted. I think he's a late-round pick. And he's 22 years old, averaged 12.1 points, 6 boards, and 1.8 assists at Alabama. Really good in two years of Juco ball. Moves over to play with the Crimson Tide. And he turned into a really good shooter. 36.6% from three this year on five and a half attempts per game. Key catch and shoot player in the corner. You need this type of spacing. And he was able to show success just like Williams, not playing solely off the catch. He was able to come off of stagger screens to create some room um, and, and get those shots off. And he's good at catching the ball and immediately setting his feet and getting into his release. Shown some potential as a slasher as well. Good at absorbing contact when he gets to the basket. And that can lead to the whistle getting a bit wet. On defense, another thing where I think he has the mold of a solid defender. I don't think he's guarding two through four. I think this is more of a backcourt guy that would be playing defense amazing in lateral drills I think that he has lateral quickness that can make him effective coming off of screens he looks pretty slithery like just getting skinny almost navigating some of these bad boys and he was able to contest as well six foot nine wingspan I believe he's six foot four so that gives him a length of five inches good reflexes too to go for loose balls that is a player that, um, at bare minimum, is getting a two-way contract, I believe. If he goes undrafted, that's what I'd say. It'd be a good player to look at. At 22 years old, unless you seriously envision him being part of that core, I don't think you would take him. I think that another team would probably go um, send him an offer, and he'd try to carve out a role there. Does deserve some chatter, though. One final prospect before we get to the road 
is Dominic Barlow out of Overtime Elite. Almost a mystery man. I've seen him basically everywhere in the second round. Averaged 14.6 points and 5 rebounds with OTE. 6'9", 215 pounds. He's a 4. Pretty good slasher. Athletic for his position, solid ball handler at his position, kind of resembles a Baisley almost. I think Leonard Miller was the Darius Baisley of this draft class, but you could maybe try drawing comparisons with Barlow. You know, he is a a rim runner at heart, great verticality, and he's good at rolling to the basket, but he needs to be a shooter from distance. Shot 30% on threes this year, only shot a little over two per game. Got to the foul line, though, when he did drive. So that helps him a bit in terms of what could happen. You know, if he catches it from three and he doesn't see much of a window, try forcing your way inside, and he's able to uh, get some sort of contact, averaging those four uh, free throws a game. And he shot 77% on those as well. So pretty efficient, if you ask me. On defense, average 1.1 steals, 1.3 blocks. 7-3 wingspan to go along with a 6-9 height. Good lateral quickness. I think he's a good prospect that you could try bringing on and developing. Could it be another redundance thing where you think he's another Bayes or he wouldn't be able to break into a major part of this rotation? I could understand that. This is probably another situation where you play him in the G League because he played at OTE which you know they had their inaugural season last year where they're playing like AAU type teams so there's obviously going to be a major jump I don't think you put him right into the NBA this is a G League starter and you see where he goes from there that's going to round things out though guys for my thoughts on pick 34 some of the prospects and some of the deep prospects that might climb up if it's not with the Thunder just with anybody starting with pick number 30 going to be continuing this going into some of the other prospects on top of the draft board into the lottery in a little bit here but that's going to do it for today's episode i thank you all for listening and i'll talk to you all next time see ya